Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Hi. Hello. Welcome back to Old Millennials, a deep dive on shallow topics from the 90s and 2000s. I am one of your hosts, Emily Bejan. And I am your other host, Margot Poupard. Today is a very special episode because we get to talk about two women I adore. As I frequently talked about on the podcast, I grew up in the D.C. area, specifically Northern Virginia. While Northern Virginia is a very different place from the rest of the state, although the most recent gubernatorial election and the amount of concerned white moms crusading against masks and critical race theory in schools might make you think otherwise, it was still below the Mason-Dixon line. And while my family was not super into country music, I grew up with so many people who were. One of my first concerts that I ever went to without parents was a Gretchen Wilson and Trace Adkins concert, which sounds outrageous when I say it out loud. And I also interned at a country music station in Fredericksburg, Virginia. So country music, whether I was actively listening to it or not, has been a part of my life at various points. Uh, before I keep going into this, though, Margot, I'd love to know if anyone around you growing up was into country music. How much did you listen to the genre? We kind of talked before we started recording about your intro to it, but I'd love to hear it from you. Um, no, I never really grew up with anybody who liked contemporary country music. Like my mom, R.I.P. Loretta Lynn, loved Loretta Lynn and some Dolly Parton. So that was sort of around. But I would say in terms of like more, you know, um, what's his name? Chris Gaines. Oh, Garth, <laughs> Garth Brooks. Garth Brooksy. We're, we're like, going to get into him. Yeah. But he kind of touches all right. Like he's kind of like my cornerstone. Like I didn't we weren't really into that kind of like contemporary country. But we talk about this all the time in our friend group about 
CDs our moms clean the house to and come on over and this kiss were like in the rotation and sort of like country pop was my entry point because it wasn't really anything I grew up listening to with any sort of regularity. And to be quite honest, I probably like avoided most new country music until about like Casey Musgraves, Marin Morris time. And that yeah. kind of like has opened my eyes to like different kinds of country as well. Like more like songwriter focused. Like you could even consider Waxahachie a little bit in that category as well if you want to. But, yeah. you know, there, there are lots more artists now like uh, Orville Peck and like like Waxahachie and a, a few others that escape me now, but I'm sure people who are more tapped in would know that are really good at genre bending and can get people like me that wouldn't say that they're into country music until, you know, they play one of these people's records and they're like, you are into country music. Like you clearly like to listen to country music. And the genre bending is all thanks to artists like Faith Hill and Shania Twain. Yes. So I'm glad you brought this all up because this you, you've given me the most perfect segue into my introduction. Um, we tend to think of country music cr as crossing over into the pop mainstream as something that really started in the 90s. And while the Billboard charts may have reflected that, um, it's been something that's been happening for decades. So Johnny Cash was one of those artists who saw a lot of mainstream success in the 60s. And in the 70s, Dolly Parton, who, you know, is a prolific songwriter, would make her crossover mark with a Barry Mann and Cynthia Wilde penned hit single, Here You Come Again. The album of that same name would become Parton's first platinum album. And Willie Nelson, who had been part of the outlaw country movement in the 70s, who was fighting for more pure, quote unquote, country music, actually scored a huge hit album with Stardust, which was a compilation of famous standards sold like several million copies. With the success, sometimes came backlash from the country community around if this music belonged in the country bucket or if it was full on pop. And even Dolly Parton was so worried about that happening when she released Here You Come Again that she insisted that her producer Gary Klein add steel guitar into the track so she could point to that if anyone ever tried to question her. And so later on in the 80s, you had additional artists like Glenn Campbell, who, who started in the 70s, but really made it big also in the 80s, uh, Kenny Rogers, obviously. And on the flip side of that, you had a lot of rock bands like the Allman Brothers Band and Leonard Skinner and the Marshall Tucker Band, who were rock bands, but very much had country-like elements in their music. And the album sales seen by these artists were pretty large, but the 90s would smash all of these records. So a lot of these artists became who became famous in the 90s, grew up listening to country, sure, but also grew up listening to pop, rock, R&B, rap, all of that. And it was impossible to call anything pure country anymore. And so that really became apparent when Garth Brooks became Garth Brooks. And as you know, Garth Brooks is one of the best-selling artists of all time. He's sold over 170 million records, <laughs> which is insane. His crossover appeal is what got him to these kinds of numbers and sold out world tours. But fun fact, Margot, and trivia for you, Brooks, despite his career, has only had one Billboard Hot 100 top 40 single. So like non-country chart, general chart. Can you guess at what point in his career he had a single <laughs> reach the top 40? Was it as Chris Gaines? You are correct. That's incredible. Yes. I, I love that for everyone. <laughs> Us, him, 
like uh, you know long live chris gaines you know (laughs) chris gaines ran so that johnny no name could be discussed exclusively by us and megan trowbridge (laughs) i mean we truly do need a chris gaines episode once and for all like it's like uh alternate identities (laughs) alternate identities like i think because remember beyonce's sasha fears Sasha Fears. There's, so, I mean, there's so. I mean, Gaga herself even is like a great oh, sure. exercise in that. Like, there's, there's a lot there for a potential episode. So even though Garth Brooks only sold a little over two million copies, which like today's standards would be amazing, of his album Garth Brooks dot 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 in the life of Chris Gaines, this <laughs> that's literally the title. No, and I, I it's just it's it's one of those things where it's like it's funny every time you hear it, no matter when or in what context, you're like, yes. And you can picture the cover too. With oh, that of course. fucking my chemical romance hair. Soul, it's just the soul patch. <laughs> It's tough. Good God. He's also sort of a little bit like if powder could grow a soul patch, you know, it's a lot. It is. It is. But that's the only time he was ever able to make it onto the regular Billboard charts for hit singles. The women we're talking about today, however, were able to break onto those mainstream charts, which is really something worth pointing out without assuming any sort of alter egos. (laughs) By simply being themselves. (laughs) By simply being themselves. We are talking today about Shania Twain and Faith Hill. And these women paved the way for so many crossover artists, including Taylor Swift, Casey Musgraves, Maren Morris, Lil Nas X even, like Carrie Underwood, etc. Orville Peck's a great example. Um, Even musicians like Keith Urban and Rascal Flatts would not have had the careers they had if the gates hadn't been open to make Country sounds so much like pop in the late 90s, early 2000s. Um, Before we go into our people, though, I have two quick notes that we need to dive into uh, before we talk about these wonderful women. The first one, we realize you're probably thinking, Emily, Margot, aren't you forgetting about the chicks? And we did not forget about them. We just know that they deserve their own at least mini episode because we wouldn't have been able to do them justice in this, in this episode. If you want a three-hour episode, great. We're not ready or willing to do that. <laughs> Tell them. Tell them. Yeah, it's true. Pay us. <laughs> I know that there are other artists we're missing here, I'm sure. Like Martina McBride's another one that comes to mind slightly. So let us know if you feel very passionately about any other artists. And maybe, who knows, we'll have another crossover episode, maybe. Emily, could we have another crossover episode? Because in this research, it, I was listening to Wide Open Spaces, uh, <laughs> even though we decided that we wanted to cut them and e- even give the chicks their own episode. Maybe we could yes. find another band. May I propose to you that the other band that we pair the chicks with, Shadaisy, Shadaisy. Yes! yes, I am so happy you brought has, them up, Margo. As like sort of the, um, you know, the chicks and then the knockoff chicks and then how did they fare? You know, I just I think mean, that might be fun. Like an examination of two bands that took two different paths that came out around the same time have similar premises like we could really do something interesting with that this is sort of more uh planning and uh behind the curtain than maybe anybody cares to know about but i thought that might be fun i think that's that's my idea yeah that's that's my um i don't know uh, compromise to just doing shania and faith right now in in many ways shadaisy is to dixie sorry (laughs) To chicks as uh, Bewitched is to Spice Girls, which is to say I love Bewitched, but like they only had a handful of hits, whereas the Spice Girls were their own kind of global phenomenon. Exactly. Um, Perfectly put. 
Yes. The second consideration, and it's more a tribute, we would be crazy to talk about these women and not mention the influences of some of our biggest country queens had on them. One of those queens, of course, is the late, great Loretta Lynn, who passed away this week at the age of 90. For being so associated with country music, Loretta worked with so many artists across different genres, probably most famous of all with Jack White in 2004 when they collaborated on her Grammy Award-winning Van Leer Rose album, which if you have never listened to it before, take a moment, pull up your Spotify, your Apple Music, whatever you use, and have a listen. Um, it's just perfection. And with that... I think, why don't we go into Shania first? Because I think she's just like, I'm, it's just. Okay. Yeah. Let me just, <laughs> there's a reason why I brought extra water. You know, yes. when I started this research, <laughs> it was 12 pages. I've got it down to seven, which is really saying something. And, you know, it made some tough cuts, but Emily and I both watched Shania's doc on Netflix. Mm -hmm. And I feel like if you watch that documentary, you'll understand just the breadth of her entire career is very hard to just encapsulate, uh, not necessarily like not succinctly, but like there just is so much to talk about. And there are so many things that I learned in the documentary. Not so many. There are like a handful of things from the documentary that I didn't know about that kind of like add more to her story. Because let's face it, you don't get to be you don't get to be synonymous with the phrase "Let's go, girls!" without yes. absolutely working your ass off, and that is exactly what Shania Twain, born Eileen Regina Edwards in Windsor, Ontario, August twenty eighth, nineteen sixty five. So Shania, her mom. Sharon and her biological father, Clarence Edwards, had two other girls, Jill and Carrie Ann. Shania's parents divorced when she was two, and they moved to Timmins, Ontario, where Sharon married Jerry Twain, who was an Ojibwe nation from the nearby Matagami First Nation. And Sharon and Jerry together had one son, Mark. Jerry would later adopt the girls, and then they would later also adopt a baby nephew whose mother passed away on Jerry's side named Daryl. And they would he would change all of their last names to his last name, Twain. Shania has always talked about that she's had a difficult childhood growing up. She lived in poverty and food insecurity. She didn't tell any adult outside of her home, fearing that they might break up her family. And her mother and stepfather's marriage was very stormy and sometimes physically abusive. And from a young age, she witnessed a lot of violence between them. Her mom also struggled with bouts of depression. And at one point, Shania did convince her her mother, at least, to run away with her sisters to a homeless shelter in Toronto, but it was pretty short-lived when she returned to Jerry in 1981. So back in Timmins, Shania starts singing in bars at the age of eight to try to help her pay her family's bills. She often earned about like 20 bucks a night, and she would work between midnight and 1 a.m. performing for last call customers at the bar, which, you know, raises a lot of flags about child labor. I mean, there's, you know, what's interesting is there are a lot of singers, female singers who had that jewel had a very similar upbringing in Alaska, like poverty, singing in bars, you know, that as an underage, like not even as a teenager. literal child, you're as eight. a child. Yeah. You're eight. That's how, how you shouldn't be at a bar at midnight. Most yeah. adults shouldn't be there and definitely not in a, not an eight year old. Yeah. She has said before 
about her time uh, performing in bars is that it was, quote, her deepest passion was music and it helped. There were moments when I thought, I hate this. I hated going to bars. I hated being with drunks, but I loved music, so I survived. By the age of 13, she was invited to perform on CBC's Tommy Hunter show. Tommy Hunter is a Canadian music artist. He has people, he had had people on his show previously perform early in their careers, like Garth Brooks, The Judds, and Atlantis Morissette when she was still a country singer. While Shania attended Timmins High and Vocational School, she was also the singer for a local band called Longshot, where they were basically a cover band where they just sang top 40 music. But this is where she started to fall in love with, as she says in her doc, rock and roll. <laughs> and she did covers of like Joan Jett and stuff that was less uh, traditional country music, songs about your daddy and being out on the road and more contemporary stuff. Also, while she was in high school, she worked for her stepfather's reforestation business in northern Ontario, which employed some 75 Ojibwe and Cree workers. Although the work was demanding and the pay was low, she said, quote, I loved the feeling of being stranded. Can't use shampoo, soap, deodorant, makeup, nothing with any scent. You have to bathe and rinse your clothes in the lake. It was a very rugged existence, but it was very creative as I would sit alone in the forest with my dog and guitar and just write songs. After she graduated from high school in 1983 and her band Longshot ended, she was approached by a different cover band led by Diane Chase called Flirt, who toured all over Ontario with them. She also cleaned a vocal coach's house in exchange for singing lessons. And in the fall of 84, Shania was noticed by Toronto DJ Stan Campbell, who wrote about her in the Country Music News article. Campbell happened to be making an album with a different Canadian musician named Tim Dennis at the time, and she was featured as backing vocals on his song Heavy on the Sunshine. And later, country singer Mary Bailey saw her perform Willie Nelson's Blue Eyes Crying in the Rain and Hank Williams' I'm So Lonely I Could, I Could Cry. And she said that her voice reminded her of Tanya Tucker's. It had strength and character and a lot of feeling. She could tell that she was a star and deserved an opportunity. But just as Shania's career was starting to take off, her parents died in a tragic car accident and she had to move back to Timmins to take care of her younger siblings. And at the suggestion of Mary Bailey, she took them all to Huntsville, Ontario, where she could support them by performing for a brand new resort called Deerhurst Resort. After her siblings finally moved out on their own, she assembled a demo tape of her songs and her Huntsville manager set up a showcase for her to present the material to record execs. She caught the attention of a few labels, but... Mercury Nashville Records signed her within a few months and changed her name to Shania. So her self-titled album came out on 420, nice, in 1993. And <laughs> in the run-up to the record release, she recorded backing vocals on some bigger citation-needed artists like Jeff Chance and Sammy Kershaw. Actually, on second thought, I do know Sammy Kershaw. By all accounts, even Shania herself in the dock, <clears throat> the album was a big old flippity-flop. It only reached number 67 on the EOS country charts, but it did get positive reviews from critics. Even though it was initially not considered a commercial success, by 1999, because of how big she had gotten with Come On Over, Self-Titled would eventually go on to sell a million copies. Her first two singles off the album are What Made You Say That, which is an incredible music video with tumbling word art. It is. It's like it's it's so 80s, but also like a child's art project. Like it's so earnest and like sweet. I feel like the and I remember the the, the font used in those curly like in that script it's very, it gives me very much like buying, um, you remember those bath beads you would buy like at a drugstore, like they would oh, melt yes. in the, yes. and you'd probably have that kind of font on that box. 
That's very specific. It, but also like in a Crayola color. It was just anyway. Uh, incredible music video. You should look that up and dance with the one that brought you. But the last single, You Lay a Whole Lot of Love on Me, didn't chart at all. Her songs and music videos, though, had more success overseas, earning her a country music television Europe Rising Star Award of the Year. As Shania wrote in her biography and also says in her documentary, this album was frustrating for her not because it didn't do well, but because she didn't get to showcase her songwriting abilities with the exception of one song that wasn't even released as a single. This frustration then fuels her drive to find a true collaborator for her next album. Enter Robert John, quote unquote, Mutt Lang. He listened to her original songs and her debut album and offered to produce and write a few songs with her. They eventually met in Nashville's Fanfare in June of 1993 and would go on to get married in December of that year, which we'll get to all of the Mutt stuff in a bit. Right now, we're going to focus on all of her albums. They'd write and co-write all of the songs for her second album, The Woman in Me, which was released February 7th of 1995. Of the 12 tracks, eight would be released as singles, a trend that would continue with Come On Over and Up. The album's first single, Whose Beds Have Your Boots Been Under, went to number 11 on the Billboard country chart. It was followed by her first country top 10 and number one hit single, Any Man of Mine, which also cracked the top 40 on the Billboard Hot 100. But this was just the beginning. The title track peaked at number 14, And then she had three additional number ones. If you're not in it for the love, I'm out of here. You win my love and no one needs to know, which was selected for the original soundtrack to the 1996 cinema picture Twister and a first for her career to be featured on a soundtrack. I love Twister. <laughs> I do too. I um, my friend is a big Lindsay Buckingham fan, like of Fleetwood Mac fame, and he made me listen to Lindsay Buckingham's track on that soundtrack once. <laughs> That's great. I love that. Uh, the Woman in Me will be the first of her three Diamond. Diamond is ten mil- million copies sold, like hard copies, like CDs, not streaming, like hard copies. Diamond certified albums in a row of Shania's career. As of 2007, Woman and Me has sold over 12 million copies in the U.S. The Woman and Me was her breakthrough album, and because of her already established success abroad, she was basically an international star overnight. She cleaned up at every award show that year, and she won Grammy for Best Country Album and Best New Female Vocalist at the Academy of Country Music. But instead of capitalizing on this momentum with a huge and very lucrative world tour, she goes back to the studio and records her biggest album. On November 4th, 1997, Shania released Come On Over and cements her status as country crossover queen. Of the 16 tracks on the album, 12 are released as singles, which is absolutely bonkers. But it wasn't until her third single, You're Still the One, did sales really take off, which also blows my mind because, I mean, You're Still the One must have done gangbusters at weddings that year. You know, like I really forgot what a huge ballad this was because I personally don't really love the song. But they show a clip in that documentary where like women are sobbing at the Today Show while she like performs this live. <laughs> It was it was interesting. I mean, like I agree with you. I feel like that's one of the um that's like her big break for through song in terms of pop mainstream radio. But for me on that album, it's probably I I still like that song, but I think that there are so many other ones that are significantly better. I totally agree. So after sales from You're the One take off, she then releases from this moment on when Honey, I'm Home, That Don't Impress Me Much, Man, I Feel Like a Woman, You've Got Away, the title track, Rock This Country, 
And I'm holding on to love to save my life as singles with accompanying music videos, except for I'm holding on to love. Come on over peaks at number two and stays on the charts for the next two years, going on to sell 40 million copies worldwide, making it the biggest selling album of all time by a female musician. It is also the ninth highest selling album by any type of artist in the U.S. and the top selling country album in history. She won four Grammys, two in 99 and two in 2000. In 99, she wins Best Country Song for You're Still the One, Best Female Country Performance for Man, I Feel Like a Woman. And then in 2000, Best Female Country Vocal uh, Performance on Man, I Feel Like a Woman and Best Country Song for Come On Over. In 1998, she launches her first major concert tour with her manager, Don Landau, who put on tours for Bruce Springsteen prior to this. The Come On Over tour is a huge success, winning Country Tour of the Year in 1998 and 1999 by Polestar Concerts. Come On Over is certified double diamond, selling over 20 million copies in the U.S. Like, absolutely insane. In her up era... And you got to say it up because it's like up exclamation point. (laughs) She also uses lots of exclamation points in her uh, titles of all sorts, songs, albums. So I find that to be very charming. So in her up era, Shania changes management from Landau to Q Prime and takes a two-year break to have her son, Asia. For her third Diamond certified album, Up, was released on November 19, 2002 and debuted at number one, selling over 800,000 copies in the first week alone. She performed at the Super Bowl in 2003 and kicked her Up tour off in September of that year in Hamilton, Ontario, Canada. She released three different versions of Up, which I find to be the most interesting. She released the green version, which was the country acoustic. She released the red version, which was pop rock. And then she released the blue version that was like world dance. She she does this a lot. She'll have multiple versions of her singles out. And then you'll probably get into the uh, party for two in a bit uh, in your notes. But she has multiple versions of that, too. I didn't get into all the versions because I don't have we don't have that kind of time. But I do get into it a little bit because, you know, it's it's also it starts on come on over by doing some of these like different just all like different versions of some of the songs that she's already done. And then it's just sort of like the trend keeps going into up era and beyond. So eight of the tracks were released as singles. I'm going to get you good being the first of the singles. It hit the top 10 on the country charts and 24 on billboard after five days of airplay. Get you good's music video at the time was one of the most expensive because of all of the effects, which when you watch it now is like kind of funny because the effects are like, they're very like birdemic, you know? Yes. Yes. <laughs> and you're like, that costs a lot of money. Okay, that's fun. Her- it's very larger than life backstreet boys. Yes. Wow, what a great what a what a great comparison. <laughs> but her fourth single was by far the most popular, Forever and Always. It was released in April of 2003 and peaked at number four. Her other singles from this album were Thank You Baby for Making Someday Come So Soon. She's not just a pretty face. When you kiss me and it only hurts when I'm breathing. Ugh, iconic. Mm-hmm. By January of 2008, Up had sold 5.5 million copies, making it her third consecutive diamond record. She's the only female artist in history with this distinction. Around 2003, though, she is diagnosed with Lyme disease, a downside of being a horse girl, ticks. She suffered blackouts and dizziness while performing, and she took a break from the limelight. To make matters worse, the Lyme disease caused issues with her vocal cords, the illness, dysphonia, I believe is how it's pronounced. Uh, It causes the voice box's muscles to involuntarily spasm. This is also around the time that her husband leaves her for her best friend, but I promise we will get to that shortly. And 
because we just got to wrap up this uh, last album before we can get into a title I have so wonderfully named Matt Sucks. Oh, sorry. Mutt Sucks. It's such an un- unintuitive nickname. <laughs> so while she's taking a break, in 2004, she releases a greatest hits album with three new tracks. As of 2012, it had sold over 5 million copies in the U.S. And the first single is a multi-format duet party for two so she makes one duet with country singer billy currington and another pop version with mark mcgrath yes yes and the intro which you probably listened to for this episode is a conversation presumed to be on the phone uh which is i mean any of you i think they made fun of it on best week ever rip greatest you know the vh1 classic uh i believe they had no no shout out to you van uh but uh they had i believe it was either nick kroll or paul Shear who just did it like so justice i need to find that clip and send it it to you oh yes please do i need to see that (laughs) unfortunately the follow-up singles didn't do so well but the following year she released a single uh she released a new single to the desperate housewife soundtrack called shoes i don't know if you remember that song in 2007, she released the last track that she'll ever produce with Mutt, a duet for Anne Murray's album of duets called You Needed Me. In June of 2009, Twain released a letter to her fans explaining the delays in release of a new album, noting that she had gone through personal pains and was focusing on raising her son. A month later, her spokesperson at a press conference confirmed that there is, quote, no record in sight. Now on to a, my section that I love, Mutt Sucks. Shania and Mutt met and married in 1993. Mutt, before his work with Shania, if you didn't know, includes ACDC, Celine Dion, Britney Spears, Lady Gaga. And also, no, no one knows why his nickname is Mutt. Because he's a dog, I guess? Unclear. Quick note, and I'll keep it very quick. They, oh, yes. They're, okay, so he also produced all of Brian Adams' albums. Like, that 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 everything I do, I do it for you. Like, all they changed the CanCon laws. Like, you know, the Canadian content laws were like, in Canada, you can only play, you have to play 20% of the music, I believe, oh, on the oh, radio. Oh, yes, yes, yes. I didn't know what it was called. <laughs> yeah, it's called Can, well, it's nicknamed CanCon. Mm. Um, and it has to either be by a Canadian artist or was recorded in Canada or something of that sort. They're like, per, per, like conditions. They changed the laws specifically so that they could continue to play the Brian Adams song because it wasn't recorded in Canada. Like there was something about it that made it dodge the law. And so they changed the laws to accommodate Mutt Lang and Brian Adams. Oh, my God. I hate that song, too. (laughs) Anyway, sometime in the 90s, Shania and Mutt met. And this is also counterintuitive for me. Met Marie Anne Thibaud, a woman they hired to manage their Switzerland chateau. Marie Anne eventually took on some other duties like personal assistant stuff for Shania, but ended up becoming a close friend. Shania and Mutt spent a lot of time with Marie Anne and her husband, Frederic Thibaud. When Mutt and Shania first split after 14 years of marriage, no one knew why, even Shania. Who ended up having the news broken to her by Marie Anne's soon-to-be ex-husband, Frederic. Mutt and Marie Anne had been having an affair, and in a 2011 interview with Ellen DeGeneres, Shania said, quote, Of course I didn't believe him, and I thought for sure that he was making it up. It was obviously just denial on my part, but he just said, You know I have proof if you want it. I've been following it now for a few weeks, and I've got hotel bills and all kinds of details. Things take a dark turn later in the same interview when, according to Shania, she confronts Maria Ann about the affair, who pretended not to know what she was talking about and <gasps> changed her number. 
Mm-hmm. Shania also mm-hmm. revealed in a different interview in 2011 with Oprah that she had previously confided in Marie Anne that she had suspected that Mutt was cheating on her, only to have been told that she was being delusional. Quote, all Marie Anne did through the whole thing was comfort me, telling me everything was fine. I believed her and I accepted it as being genuine. So she straight up gaslit this woman in, in the most literal way. Oh, my God. In the Netflix doc, she doesn't really go into it as much, probably because between these interviews and her memoirs, she feels like it's enough, and it probably is. But she does liken her divorce to a car crash that killed her parents when she was 22. In her own words, quote, it was like a death. It was a permanent end to so many facets of my life. It took a long time to be ready to write and record again. Their divorce was finalized in 2010. Now we're going to go back into an upswing, though, baby. We're coming back. You don't you're not just like a triple diamond certified artist and just like take the shit and not come back from this. So in May 2011, she released her first new single in six years. Today is your day after the finale of Why Not with Shania Twain, a docuseries that was on the O Network about her career, upbringing and and also about why she had a musical hiatus. She also worked on a duet with Lionel Richie and David Foster. This man haunts this show just like 9-11. She published a memoir, was featured on Michael Buble's Christmas album, also produced by David Foster. And she renounced her residency at Caesars Palace for two years and called it Still the One. It began in December of 2012 and ran through 2014. In October of 2013, though, she confirmed she was working on new music, but it was hard for her to find a producer to work with, so it was taking a bit longer than expected. So by 2015, she decided to go on tour for the first time in 11 years, and she also announced this would be her last tour before her fifth studio album, which she intended to release at the time while she was still 50. Spoiler alert, she she doesn't get to it. In April of 2017, Billboard announced her new single, Life's About to Get Good, and it was going to premiere in June. The album projected for a release in September, and she headlined the 2017 Stagecoast Festival in Indio, our favorite place to have bachelor influencers hook up with each other and then eventually yell at each other on a beach about it. <laughs> she previewed new music there for the first time ever, and her fifth studio album, Now, was finally released in September 2017 and would debut at number one on the Billboard 200, becoming her second album to do so. She then went on tour to support the album, so it wasn't really her last tour. This this is her last tour, the Now Tour in 2018. And the following year, she announced her second Vegas residency, Let's Go! It opened in December of 2019 and was supposed to run for two years, but we all know what happened next. It does come back, though, and it recently just wrapped up in September, as I was disappointed to find out <laughs> upon my Google search. <laughs> I'm just going to go into a little bit of like her legacy as you had touched upon in the beginning it kind of you know it it she transcends a lot of genres so shania had has a contralto contralto vocal range contralto you're right thank you which is like a mezzo soprano but more rare in 2018 though she underwent laryngoplasty to have the Gore-Tex stabilizers implanted in her throat to reduce the workload on her vocal muscles because of the damage from the Lyme disease and also just some general loss over the years. Despite her success, she has been a divisive figure, though, within country music among purists who initially did not take kindly to her genre bending. Most critics accused her of, quote, diluting country with bland, anthemic hard rock techniques. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. 
Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. And shamelessly selling her records with sexy music videos. Similar to Garth Brooks before her, Shania was initially branded an interloper. In the, in the 90s, she also received a lot of backlash for her her unconventionally liberated appearance as a country music singer and despite the breakthrough of the the breakthrough success of the woman in me early detractors did not take her seriously as an artist several music journalists would always question her lyrics how manufactured her production on her albums were and her singing ability critics also boiled her down to just sex appeal focusing solely on her physical appearance instead of her music Early in her career, she found herself at odds constantly with the conservative opinions of country music industry people because of her assertive personality and her love of exposed midriffs. She was constantly being deprecated for bearing her midriff to the point where critics nicknamed her, quote, the most famous midriff in Nashville, which is just like, okay. While CMT also banned her music video for her debut single, What Made You Say That?, which, LOL, that is beyond because this music video could not be more innocent. Even before touring, she was very smart to broaden her appeal with her music videos, despite the objections of the more conservative country music yahoos. She loved to mix her country music styling with MTV aesthetics, and everybody freaked the fuck out about it. Does that sound familiar? Like Little Nas X, maybe? <laughs> her record label tried to tell her that both men and women would dislike her because she was independent and sexually expressive. Respectively, she told them, I don't believe you, and, and refusing to conform to a single archetype of femininity was not only the key to becoming a legend, but also the making of a groundbreaking career and more fodder for my upcoming short bitch voyant about women who know what they're doing, but no one decides to listen to them because they didn't say it nice enough. And then years and years later, it turns out they were right. Her massive success in the music industry has earned her the honorific nickname as Queen Queen of Country Pop. In 1998, McLean's had named her, quote, the reigning queen of country music. American songwriter named her one of the greatest artists of our time. The New York Times named her, quote, a country's crossover queen, writing that in her prime, she was both, quote, a pop centrist and a country rebel. In ranking the singer's best songs, Rolling Stone stated that her catalog of music has come to define an era of country music and paved the way for other genre-bending artists that followed. BBC Online also described her as the real queen of pop, citing her influences reach far and wide from Meghan Trainor to Taylor Swift to Haim to Britney Spears. Most recently, Post Malone and Rihanna have cited her as inspiration with Post calling her his childhood crush she covered his song rockstar at the american music awards and they've expressed an interest in collaborating together claiming that they wanted to write a song all the way back in 2019 also obviously harry styles has mentioned shania twain as one of his biggest influences both musically and in fashion and she performed with him on his most recent tour on a most recent tour stop excuse me not the whole thing she also has a single with orville peck she and cheryl crow kind of remind me of each other in how they uplift rising talent and love to collaborate with them on sort of like non-forced ways unlike coldplay and k-pop 
And to round out her many awards and recognitions, of which I have probably left out many, in August of 2022, she received the Poets Award from the Academy of Country Music, honoring her songwriting, which I'm is insane uh, and amazing. And later this month, she will be inducted into the Nashville's Nashville Songwriters Hall of Fame as well, which for a artist who was upset that no one took her seriously as a songwriter is just what an accomplishment. And that's yeah, that's those are just the big ins. There are many other People's Choice Awards and Country Music Awards that I probably didn't name and who even knows what else. But she's got them all, baby. She's I mean, she is incredible. And and though Faith Hill is her own artist in her own right, a lot of what she is able to do in her career is partially because Shania did it a year or two prior to her doing the same thing. Yeah, I mean, I, I think this is a perfect segue into Faith Hill who, by the way, is actually her original name is Audrey Faith Perry, and she was born in Ridgeland, Mississippi on September 21st, 1967. She was adopted as an infant by Edna and Ted Perry and grew up in Star, Mississippi with her two brothers who were her parents' biological sons. Um, And she talks about this in her song, Mississippi Girl. We'll get into that later. She grew up singing and was inspired by seeing Elvis live in 1976, right before she turned nine years old. And I'm thinking, like, this is a year before Elvis dies. This is like Elvis kissing the ladies on the cheek that we talked about. Not on the cheek, Emily. Full oh, excuse me, on the lips. Full lips. What am I even saying? Full My God. <laughs> full lips. My God. Um, but she starts singing at a very young age. I think the first time she performed was at a 4-H thing when she was seven years old. And she grew up in a pretty religious household and sang at her family's church, but later went on to sing at churches all over the Jackson, Mississippi area, and also started a band while she was a teenager that sang at rodeos because this is Mississippi. She graduated. <laughs> she graduates high school and eventually attends junior college, but decides to drop out and move to Nashville at 19. She actually auditioned to be one of Reba Reba McIntyre's backup singers within her first few years in Nashville, but didn't get the gig. And sadly, this ends up being a blessing in disguise for Faith Hill. Um, But there's a big tragedy here, which is that Reba and her touring band began taking private jets to save time during one of her world tours because they had a crazy schedule. In 1991, they had two planes set to leave from a private gig they did for IBM on March 16, 1991 in San Diego, and Reba's band left in one of those planes that night and ended up crashing, killing everyone on um, on board, including the person who got the gig that Faith Hill didn't get. Um, and I was just thinking there are like a lot of bands that suffered like bad bus plane accidents around this time. Like Metallica had had one a few years prior and Gloria Estefan had a big bus, a bus crash in 1991 as well, where there was like tragedy and people died. And like, I only remembered this though, because I took the Gloria Estefan spin class last week on Peloton, but I digress. (laughs) Wait, they talked about the accident during the spin class? Yes, because um, Robin, yes, because Robin our zone, the instructor, oh, yeah, put, no, put, yeah. put, put her song, uh, the song that she performed at the American Music Awards in wake in the wake of the tragedy as one of the slower songs that we we um, we we had during uh, this our class. is not news. I need this is not news I can use as I'm on a Peloton ride fighting for my life. You know what I mean? Like <laughs> I would just be sh- I would stop. I'd be like, I cannot listen to a tra- this. It- don't recount a tragedy to me while I'm working out. That's upsetting. 
it was very just it was very sad it was very sad but back to lighter things um faith hill worked several jobs before getting discovered and during that time she marries uh, music publishing executive daniel hill hence what her name is um one of those gigs that she was doing to support her way through nashville was working as a secretary for a music publishing company and one of her coworkers overheard her singing one day and the head of the company decided she should become a demo singer for the company. So for those of you who don't know, there are a lot of singers who obviously don't write their own songs. And in Nashville, there's a whole industry devoted to songwriting. There is literally a part of Nashville called Music Row, which consists of the area where many of the record labels, publishing houses, music licensing firms, recording studios, video production houses, radio stations, etc., are uh, headquartered. And many of those songwriters in Nashville get discovered at the Bluebird Cafe. And I feel like I'm basically retelling the Coyote Ugly story, but make it Nashville right now (laughs) with like the singer-songwriter component. But people who got their start at the Bluebird Cafe include Vince Gill, Kathy Matea, Dirks Bentley, Keith Urban, Taylor Swift, Lady Antebellum, or excuse me, Lady A, and Garth Brooks. And Faith Hill gets her big break there when she's a backup singer for Gary Burr, who's a songwriter that performed a lot of his new material at the cafe. Martha Sharp, an executive for Warner Brothers Records, will hear her sing and decides she should sign her. And Martha Sharp is the person who signed Randy Travis in the late 80s. What's ironic is Randy Travis at the time was very much seen as that crop of country artists helping the genre return to its non-pop crossover roots. So it's interesting with Faith Hill's career, the turn that that took. So Faith Hill released her debut album, Take Me As I Am, in 1993, which went on to sell. 3 million copies. And on that album, Hill scored her first number one country single in 1994 with Wild One. And she was the first female country singer in 30 years to hold Billboard's number one position. That fact points to a big problem with country music that comes up a lot when you're talking about female artists, which is that it tends to really reward mostly male acts, even up to this day, um, especially on mainstream country radio. So the success like Faith Hill, Shania Twain, The Chicks experienced in the 90s and 2000s is unfortunately not as common as you would think in country music. Uh, But Faith Hill will follow up her number one with a cover of Peace of My Heart that also hit number one on the country charts. And a fun fact, Faith Hill had never heard the original version of that song, which is by Erna Franklin, and then the most famous cover that's by Big Brother and the Holding Company. And so the producers didn't want her to hear it so that she could kind of sing her own version and basically not do a a Janis Joplin impression. But anyway, she has a huge hit first album and then follows it up in 1995 with It Matters to Me, which also sells over 3 million copies. She'll score her first number one or third number one with the title track, along with several other top 10 singles. And a year later, Faith Hill did the spontaneous combustion tour, which is what a name (laughs) with singer Tim McGraw. Faith Hill had divorced her first husband in 1994 and had recently gotten engaged to her then producer, Scott Hendricks. And Tim McGraw had just broken off an engagement. The two, though, would eventually fall in love, and she and McGraw got married on October 6, 1996. They are still together this this day, and they have three daughters together, and apparently they have an agreement to never spend more than three days apart, which is probably why they've almost always toured together, we'll get into the soul-to-soul tours later, and are on that Yellowstone spinoff 1883 together, more on that later. 
Faith Hill would go on to take a three-year break from recording to focus on her um, daughters who had just been born. Apart from recording the first of many duets with her husband, It's Your Love, which went to number one and won both Academy of Country Music Awards and CMA Awards. After this break, Faith comes out with her self-titled Faith in 1998, which will be her crossover breakthrough album. She scores a country chart number one hit with This Kiss, which would go on to peak at number seven on the pop charts and was featured on the Practical Magic soundtrack. You might remember it plays during the scene when the aunts cast a love spell on Sandra Bullock and she runs to make out in the middle of the street with her soon-to-be husband, Mark Farstein. Um, Anyway, I just started watching Practical Magic before. Before we started recording because of this. Uh, so the album would go on to sell over 6 million copies and Faith Hill will then release the follow-up album Breathe in 1999, which debuts at the top of the Billboard country chart and the overall Billboard album chart, which was a first time for Faith Hill. The title track Breathe reached number two on the Billboard Hot 100 charts and the follow-up single The Way You Love Me hit number six on the chart. She won three Grammys for the album, including Best Country Album, Best Country Collaboration with Vocals for Let's Make Love featuring Tim McGraw, and Best Country Female Vocal Performance for Breathe. It should also be noted that Faith Hill, maybe inspired by Shania Twain, debuted a much more mature image with this album and its videos, and the album has sold almost 10 million copies. Um, You'll remember like the music video for Breathe, she's like naked, um, in a bed and like this was very different from anything she had done before and I really do think like I mentioned earlier it's because of Shania Twain that she was able to kind of venture into that territory midriff queen midriff queen I mean I think you know Faith Hill was basically like you said doing what Shania did which is blending a country tinged song with MTV visuals whether it be uh like naked in a bed or uh, telling like dressed up like Robert Palmer girls and singing about how that don't impress me much. Like it's just it's just like different because like it's sort of like a send up of like a Janet video is like what Faith Hill is doing. Right. So, yeah, absolutely. Um, she continues this career, though. She has another banner year in 2000 with the first of many Soul to Soul tours with Tim McGraw, which have you seen how it's stylized? It's like Soul mm-hmm. number two, two Soul. soul and then, yeah. And then they'll add a number two after for the sequel tour. Like it's, <laughs> they soul, keep using soul the name. Two, three, four. Yeah. 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 I've, I've seen it because it was sort of uh, pretty popular and they had VH1 had some Faith Hill special in the 90s. Right. They did. Yeah. So she has a couple of specials in the year 2000 on VH1. Most notably, she gets a behind the music and she appears on VH1 Divas 2000, which Shania appeared on the year before, um, which was a tri- and her, uh, the year Faith Hill was on it. It was a tribute to Diana Ross. And she headlined with Diana Ross, obviously, Mariah Carey and Donna Summer. And I believe we need to bring back VH1 Divas because if we're bringing back the surreal life, we deserve VH1 Divas Live. It I need, was I need VH1 Divas Live, but I also need it to be a Vegas show, a residency yes. where we just trade out these divas. Like, you know, let, we're again yes. unionized. Like, let's let's get let's be- we're together. We're stronger. I mean, Danny Pellegrino has been calling for a reboot of Divas Live for years now, and we're all on his side here. 
I mean, iconic programming that there are younger people listening will never get to know unless they go on YouTube. So we do not need more discourse about Dennis Rodman's schlong on surreal life. We need Faith Hill out here harmonizing with Mariah in a tribute to Loretta Lynn. Like, what are we doing right now? Like, free idea, VH1. (laughs) Hire us, Tucka Vale. As we love to say, we should put that on some business cards. Yeah, or sell a t-shirt. <laughs> Tech avail. Um, Faith Hill also performed at the Grammys, Oscars, and performed the national anthem at the Super Bowl in 2000. And she also recorded that song, Where Are You Christmas, from the Grinch soundtrack, mm. which is apparently co-written by James Horner and Will Jennings, who co-wrote and won the Oscar for My Heart Will Go On, and Mariah Carey, question mark? Like... <laughs> What doesn't this woman? What what can't she do? She I, I cannot wait for this grunge. I I has she released the grunge album yet? It's has coming. It, I think we it's would coming. know. It's coming of though because she's Ugh. always talked about it, and it's in that memoir that I still need to read. So sorry to my Lamely, <laughs> but um, she is. I understand why she's the queen of Christmas because she is like Santa. She's fucking everywhere and in places you would not expect. I mean, in 2000 alone, she makes two appearances in Faith Hill's career. Like incredible stuff. But Faith would go on to win uh, the CML, CMA Female Vocalist of the Year Award. And in 2001, she recorded There You'll Be from the Pearl Harbor soundtrack, co-written by our girl Diane Warren, mm. and originally offered to Celine Dion. But she turned it down because she was tired of being a soundtrack queen, which we stand a woman who wants to branch out, but uh, it was a massive hit. It peaked at number 10 on the Billboard chart and was nominated for both a 2002 Grammy Award for Best Female Pop Vocal. It lost to Nelly Furtado's I'm Like a Bird, <laughs> and which is a better song. Like, let's be honest. Like, I love Diane Warren, but like, I'm like a bird. It me, I listened to it yesterday. Like, I have not. Yeah. Live your she, truth. <laughs> Be like a bird, Emily. I'm, I support you. Thank you. I appreciate that. Um, she was also nominated for an Academy Award for Best Original Song, but lost to Randy Newman's If I Didn't Have You from Monsters, Inc. And fun fact about that uh there you'll be music video it was also directed by michael bay and i didn't even bother <laughs> looking it up because i just imagined it was three minutes of explosions i didn't just i didn't want to look no it up. i remember this music video you know she, it's like she's dressed like uh, a 40 world, like a world yeah, war like 1940s nurse no she's yes. like a nurse or something or like and she's performing like in pearl harbor and it's like i think it's like sepia toned and and they they do oh, cut yeah. to, to ben affleck and kate beckinsale like smooth like you know they got like footage from the movie in there too oh yeah i completely forgot that he had directed that music video it was very you know what it kind of reminded me a little bit of uh gaga's video for maverick for take my yeah it was a little like old schooly there were not a lot of explosions (laughs) is all i'm trying to say so i mean watch it if you want to but it's just sort of like a sepia tone like you know like those those cut scenes in video games <laughs> like it's one of those I, I think I totally know what you're talking about what's interesting is like there's even a weird tone to another Diane Warren Penn song that was in a Michael Bay movie don't want to miss a thing by Eros <laughs> I mean uh, it, it was good at the time and then you know like most songs just got played to into the ground for me personally but 
yes. If I if I do hear the chorus in a bar and I've had something to drink, oh my god, are you I kidding will me? Sing scream it the way oh I sing screamed hello at, at the drop of a hat. So easy, easy. I mean, Diane Warren is a queen out here making songs that are perfect to sing to after two, three, or more glasses of wine. Like just nothing but hits. Maybe we would um, even explain it to the youngsters the way that we explain the yeah. song "Toxic" to those kids at that bar. <laughs> Oh my god. <laughs> Do you understand how good this song is? You don't. It's great times. <laughs> um <laughs> There's no way to segue back into this. Uh it's Sorry. 2002. No, you're fine. <laughs> I took us off the the beaten path of Shania, so we're all good. In 2002, Faith Hill released the album Cry, which debuted at number one Billboard's pop and country album charts and won a Grammy Award and sold over 3.7 million copies. The album received a lot less country radio airplay because it was super pop and kind of like with Shania, Faith Hill received quite a bit of um, backlash for this album and for her a lot of her music at the time. But who cares? She was laughing all the way to the bank. So... After 2002, she took a three-year break from recording albums again, and in the meantime, made her film debut in the Stepford Wives remake in 2004, which I recently re-watched with my ex, and I was like, um, I don't know. It's it's very middle of the road. Like, it's another movie where it's, it's like, like rewatching. It's like, don't worry, yeah. darling. There are parts of it that are really good and really interesting. As always, Bette Midler in it is excellent. And oh, there, great. And there are parts of it that should work, but there's there are parts of it that completely fall flat. And really, if you haven't read Stepford Wives recently, the book, it's nothing can kind of compare to like how kind of like creepy the book is. So you can try. They tried to make it too funny, I think, is kind of what happened. I, I mean, it's it was Frank Oz who directed it, which I forgot because I did not realize Frank Oz oh. directed but yes. Oh, I mean, yes, I did, but I didn't think he would direct that. Okay. Yes. Very interesting, interesting choice. Yes. But it makes sense, though. Now, like, rewatching it, I'm like, oh, no wonder it's like, I love the Muppets, but it's a little, it's a little hokey. Like, mm-hmm. <laughs> um, Faith Hill would also, so she's, she's been acting for a while, like in the beginning of her career, um, in the late 90s, she actually did a three-episode arc of Touched by an Angel, which we don't talk enough about on this podcast, but the, the whole Touched by an Angel had on our country for some time is just insane. I don't even know how many seasons it aired, but it, there were a lot. Is um, it in the Sister Wives Hall of Fame of 17 seasons? <laughs> unfortunately not. I believe probably uh, no more than five, but for, for one shining sure? moment- I don't know. I mean, because I always associated with like Walker, Texas Ranger, because it was usually Which, around that same. Well, that, that also had a lot oh, of episodes, that, though, too. It did. It it had it very had nine like, seasons, t- Emily. What? Yes, uh, I'm telling oh you. Oh my it, god, 211 episodes. Did you out here telling me lies? I know. I have it's, nothing it, but lies. <laughs> I mean, okay, so it wasn't in the 17 season Hall of Fame. With you know, but SNL, nine. <laughs> it's always sunny and sister wives. But I had two hundred episodes because to be syndicated the way Touched by an Angel was, you have to hit a threshold, and I think it's like a minimum a hundred to be You're syndicated. Absolutely right broadcast. to be syndicated. Okay. Um, anyway, great. Touched by an Angel. <laughs> she was on it, and it ran for a long time. In two thousand five, 
Faith Hill returned more to her country roots with the album Fireflies, which debuted on the top of the Billboard Country and General Album Charts. She's actually one of the few artists to have three consecutive albums debut both number one on the Billboard 200 or Billboard 100, whatever it is, and the Billboard Country Albums Chart. The autobiographical debut single, Mississippi Girl, became Faith Hill's highest debuting single. And another big hit from the album was another duet with Tim McGraw called Like We Never Loved It All. And in 2006, after a six-year break from touring following the birth of her youngest daughter, Faith Hill and Tim McGraw embarked on their Soul to Soul 2 tour, (laughs) 2006. Put that on a t-shirt and say it three times fast. Um... The tour became the highest grossing country music tour ever with a gross of $90 million. In 2007, she released a greatest hits compilation that surprisingly only sold half a million copies, but she would go on to replace Pink as the signature voice of the NFL on NBC's Sunday Night Football until April 15, 2013. And she and Tim McGraw were nominated for the single I Need You for Best Country Collaboration with Vocals and Best Country Song at the 2008 Grammys. Later that year, she released her first Christmas album titled Joy to the World, which sold over 750,000 copies. And that following year, she performed America the Beautiful at the Super Bowl pregame show on February 1st, 2009. In 2010, she performed The Winner Takes It All with Benny Anderson at the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame induction ceremony for ABBA's induction, and she also performed a rendition of The Long and Winding Road as part of a White House tribute to Paul McCartney. I'd forgotten about this movie for about five seconds, but I'm glad we're talking about it. She also performed Given to Me for the Country Strong soundtrack, which you may remember that her husband, Tim McGraw, stars in as Gwyneth Paltrow's husband slash manager. Have you you've seen Country Strong before? I have, yes, at Ronnie's urging. She's like, if you love A Star is Born, you're going to love Country Strong, <laughs> which I thought was... No, no, you won't. <laughs> You'll love it for all the wrong reasons. That is correct. That is a a more accurate read of how I actually feel about it. (laughs) Yeah, it's just, I mean, it's such a weird movie because it's clearly it was Gwyneth's attempt to get a second Oscar and that did not happen. It went more more camp than I think she intended. Indeed. Indeed. She actually, Faith Hill has actually not released another solo album of new material since her 2008 holiday album. She and Tim McGraw released The Rest of Our Life in 2017 as a joint album together, which debuted at number two on the Billboard 200 and number one on the Top Country Albums chart. This coincided with the opening of an exhibit at the Country Music Hall of Fame and Museum in Nashville titled Mississippi Woman, Louisiana Man, which is a cute exhibit name because it describes both where they are from and it's a play on the Loretta Lynn and Conway Twitty song, Louisiana Woman, Mississippi Man. There was a time in 2011 where she began working on a solo album and claimed it would eventually be released, but plans fell through. She performed a song here and there from it, but it never really went anywhere. And she's honestly really mostly focused on touring and Vegas residencies with Tim McGraw. And she has a crazy roster of hits. So if she can continue to make money on that, I totally get it. They had another run of their Soul to Soul tour in early 2012 and later that year began a 20-show run of the Soul to Soul show at the Venetian in Las Vegas in December 2012. They did a second leg in 2013 through 2014. Um, and since then, she's also done some acting. So she did. Uh, she was in the movie Dixieland. Um, she and Tim McGraw did another world tour in 2017. 
And in 2021, they began starring in the Yellowstone spinoff 1883 with Sam Elliott. And since then, she's performed here and there. And she's actually going to be a part of the tribute to the Judds later this month in Kentucky. Fun fact about Faith Hill and Tim McGraw, their oldest daughter, Gracie, is a singer. And she's actually very talented. I watched her on her Instagram earlier today. And their middle daughter, Audrey, is also an actress. She's an actress and also a singer. And I'm not sure what their youngest daughter, Maggie, does. I think she's still in college. But anyway, they seem very cute and fun. And Rita Wilson commented on every single one of Tim McGraw's oldest daughter's Instagram posts like it was very weird and she I was like I wonder if she and Chet grew up together I have so many questions Marco that's really all I have to say about Faith Hill um really enjoyed reading about her and playing this kiss on nonstop uh the last 48 hours what a great song when it came on I was like why do I want to watch Practical Magic all of a sudden and it's one of those if you know you know you you know Just it just it, it immediately takes you to that place. And not a lot of songs can do that. I mean, just like such a great quintessential Halloween movie. Good enough that we talked about it on a Halloween movie episode that we recorded on early in our show, which you should check out. I mean, promotion. listening to a lot of Shania Twain this last week, I really just have that like stuck in my head on loop. <laughs> One of the Faith Hill, one of Faith Hill's daughters posted "Let's Go Girls" as her caption on an IG post, and I screamed, "Marco, <laughs> look! When it's good, it's good. Doesn't matter it's where good it comes enough. from. <laughs> it's so good." <laughs> well, before we end it for tonight, uh, Marco, do you have any final thoughts? No, I don't. This is just two great country pop crossover queens that have given us so much a lifetime's worth of great music to listen to and a wonderful uh, cadre if you will of music videos that everybody should check out and endless uh, Halloween <laughs> in outfit inspiration ideas and I I know you didn't love the Shania doc but if you are interested in learning more about her, I, I recommend it because it is it's pretty good. It's fine. It's not like I, it's not incredible, but it's good. I think I, I didn't dislike it. I think I felt like it was a little light. But to your point, I'm glad you brought it up the way you did, which is that she's covered a lot of the darker parts of her life in her behind the music special and interviews. And I would also her say her, yeah, her memoir is supposed to be pretty good and doesn't really... You know, I think the doc is kind of more aimed at being more about her life's work because she yes. also doesn't really talk about her son all that much either. And I'm no, sure she her kid is like a big part of her life. But before I forget, though, and before we sign off, I also want to say there is a happy ending to her um, husband cheating on her and all of that mess is that she ends up with Marie Anne's ex-husband, Frederic. So and they live in Switzerland. Exactly, all's well that ends well, I suppose. So, I, and I would also recommend going back to listen to the woman in me because whose bed have your boots been under is such a good song. Oh, it's amazing. Camille and I were at a restaurant in Portland uh, a couple of months ago, and it was getting closing closer to closing. And I guess they every night let an employee take over the playlist and they just started playing Shania Twain. And my sister and I, we're each like three cocktails in. I mean, we just kept singing the hits. It was a I, treat. 
I was going to say, if doing research on this episode doesn't make you want to go do karaoke, like, I don't know what will, right? Like, all, all of these songs, it's like they they unlock memories every time I, I put them on. I think my my the, the takeaway I have from Shania's happy ending is that much like her, someone else who suffered quite a bit, Tina Turner, is happily living her life in Switzerland with her uh, husband. And I hope that... Every day or every once in a while, Tina and Shania hang out. They, you know, go to over to each other's chateaus and just have a nice glass of wine together. Well, Shania's still like putting out new music. Like she just had a new single out and it's very, um, how do I put this nicely? Adult contemporary. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you will. Um, huh. But she's still out here, you know, trying to make it happen. Yeah. I think that she just is a, a a force of nature as people kind of like described her in the doc. So she'll always be making stuff. So. Indeed. I, uh, yeah, this was just a great episode. I was very happy we got to do this. So thank you all for listening to this episode where we gushed about some of our favorites, uh, country Queens. We have a Patreon. So if you enjoyed this and you want to hear our thoughts on the Shania Twain documentary and a lot of other documentaries and shows that we watch, we have an old millennials cinematic universe. So check it out. Five bucks a month gets you two pieces of bonus content. Um, you can find that at patreon.com slash old millennials pod. And also you can find us anywhere you listen to your podcasts. Obviously you're listening to us right now, but if your friends are looking for us, you can find them us on Apple podcasts or Spotify or wherever you listen. But um, if you're there and there's an option to leave us a rating and a review, feel free to do that. We really appreciate it. Additionally, you can follow us on our social media channels. Uh, We are at Facebook and Instagram at the old millennials pod. And individually, you can find us each on Twitter. I am at Emily A. Beijing. And I'm at Marg. She wrote. And until next time, we say bye-bye. Bye. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to Quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.